0: Today's episode, The Astronomical Search for Extraterrestrial Life. Hello and welcome to Technology and Space, where we talk about the science, technology, history, and business of space exploration and commercialization. I'm Chris Alvarez and thank you for listening. I'm speaking with Dr. Cesare Barbieri author of A Brief Introduction to the Search for Extraterrestrial Life, published CRC Press, and the paperback edition is coming out March 31st, 2021. Thank you for speaking with me.
1: Thank you for calling me, Grace. It was a great pleasure having your call.
0: Thank you. So first, tell me, how did you get into um, studying this subject and, and writing a book on it?
1: Well, uh, I have a long career of, uh, as an astronomer. And, uh, since I was very young, I was always fascinated by the possibility to find planets around other stars, which was a very, very difficult enterprise until, say, 20, 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was involved in several, uh, space missions and also in several, uh, in building several telescopes on the ground. So I always did my best to the best optical quality of the telescopes and instrumentation because finding a planet around another star is very, very difficult from, from an optical point of view. Mm-hmm. So uh, since I was a young student in uh, Austin, Texas, I learned how to make a telescope. Mm. They were building a 2.7-meter telescope for NASA at the moment telescope which was uh, really dedicated to the study of planets. So when I came back to Italy, I did a telescope in Asiago and then a telescope in the Canary Island. I was involved in the Hubble Space Telescope in the early days, and and so on and so on. And lately, I I was involved in the Rosetta mission to a comet. It's a European mission to a, a comet, which was a very, very successful mission. And from the point of view of, uh, say, uh, precursors of life, the Rosetta mission found the first amino acid in the cart, mm-hmm. a comet, the simplest amino acid. So, I mean, it's a long career and uh, of uh, interest in uh, extraterrestrial life. Mm-hmm. So, this is my background. So,
0: so how does. Um if in any way, how does um sort of the optical parameters of a telescope looking for planets or, or any indicators of life, how does that differ from other types of telescopes?
1: Let's see if I understand your question. Yeah. Uh, with an optical telescope uh, today, we can find uh, the existence of another planet, of a planet around another star. Mm-hmm. We can... um measure its radius, say, its uh, mass, its density, so we can understand if it is, say, a rocky planet or a gaseous planet, say, sort of Earth-type or Mm Jupiter-type. This is uh, uh, now, I I won't say easy, but relatively easy. What is much, much more difficult today is to find uh, indicators of uh, life, say, not evolved life, but, uh, say, a primitive life, like vegetation, say, or bacteria. And this is still a matter, I would say, of future telescopes, larger telescopes for space and for ground. Mm -hmm. As you know, at the end of October, uh, NASA should launch the uh, James Webb Space Telescope, Mm -hmm. a very, very large telescope for space, which uh, will surely be uh, instrumental to detect biosignatures in, in other planets. Mm-hmm. And Europe is building a almost 49 meter test, very, very large one in Chile. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will be ready in, say, five years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we will have enough light to try to measure the presence of uh, biosignatures like uh, uh, carbon dioxide, or methane, or water vapor, and
0: so on. Mm-hmm. I guess my question, um, and thank you for that answer, um, but also I think, are there different types of telescopes, either um, physically or, or some parameters, you know, I, I guess there are some designed for narrow, you know, yes. narrow looks and some are wide, um, and I'm just wondering as far as the search for terrestrial life, do you oh, have to yeah. make choices...
1: Uh, uh, let, let's see. If you want to detect a planet around other stars, you better have a, a wide-angle telescope mm. because you can survey many stars at uh, one time, like the Kepler of NASA or the what is now uh, flying the uh, TESS telescope of NASA. They they, have, uh, they can measure uh, many many stars at a time. So for the discovery. A wide field is very important. But if you want really to make a very, very detailed study of a single planet, uh, of its atmosphere, then you need a very, very special narrow-angle telescope with the capability especially to suppress the light from the primary star, because the planet is very, very faint, is very close to the bright star, so you need special optics, what we call a coronagraph, mm-hmm. to suppress the light of the primary star. Mm-hmm. So this is really very, very uh, difficult. And uh, uh, there is another, another I would say, more technical maybe uh, difference. If you can measure in the far infrared, that would be better. And uh, because you avoid all the contamination by the Earth's atmosphere, mm-hmm. And this, again, is better done in the infrared, and this is better done from space and not from, from, from the ground, where we have a lot of noise and uh, our
0: atmosphere, our terrestrial lives contaminating the sea. Mm-hmm. So as far as the book itself, how, how, does, how do you break it out? Um, what, what do you focus on in the
1: book? Well, of course, uh, you know, I am an astronomer, not a biologist, so I focused on way to detect... Uh, planets around other stars but i also inserted a chapter on our life exported to other to other planets in particular to the moon mm-hmm. and to mars and uh, hopefully uh, the moon is uh, say a few years ahead of us mars may be 15 20 years ahead of us so i also inserted this uh this chapter on how do we export our life. But then coming back to life on other planets, I of course made a brief uh, resume of the characteristics of uh, uh, living organisms, which uh, ju- just to give a base, a background of uh, information. And uh, in particular, what is very, very important is the presence of liquid water. Mm-hmm. And so this also, uh, in a way, impacts our astro- as astronomers because uh, we we need to see if the planet we find is in what we call the habitable habitable zone mm-hmm. of the star, mm-hmm. in, uh, a zone where the water can can stay liquid, not only gaseous uh, or not only ice. So I went uh, uh, through many pages explaining the, this. Uh, concept of how do you define an habitable zone around another star. Mm -hmm. But then I also inserted uh, another chapter on consideration of uh, can we find intelligent life? Mm. And this is an entirely different matter because I mean with with, with our telescopes we can go from possibly inhabited uh, say um, planets, but possibly, but we are not sure they are inhabited, and and especially if they are inhabited by intelligent species. This is another very gigantic step we have to do, mm. unless we are lucky. I mean, unless we find uh, signals, and those signals are most likely to come not from optical telescopes but from radio telescopes, mm-hmm. because assume they are, uh, they have our own civilization, they have our own technology, the same technology we have here on ground. Mm-hmm. They are able to send around signals, and we are able to detect them. So with some luck, we can send signals to nearby stars, and see if somebody there listen and answers back. Mm-hmm. Or we can try to detect the signal. And this is a, a search, a search for extraterrestrial intelligence. In, in uh, your wording will be S E T I, no? Mm-hmm. Uh, search for extraterrestrial intelligence. This search is going on uh, with radio waves. Since maybe 50, 60 years,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: But unfortunately, no result until now. And again, this is a very difficult search. Is getting more and more difficult because we are contaminating our uh, our environment. There's a lot of uh, broadcasting stations around, um, cellular phones, <laughs> all that, mm-hmm. uh, and. And again, maybe if we can put a searching radio telescope on the far side of the moon, Mm -hmm. that would be much, much better for for that purpose. But it will take a decade from now, maybe more. Mm -hmm.
0: I'm speaking with Cesare Barberi, author of A Brief Introduction to the Search for Extraterrestrial Life. You can find more information about the book on the CRC Press website. If you like this episode of Technology and Space so far, please tap the like button and Space Dock the subscribe button. If you want more interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or to get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyandspace.com. If you want interviews with military historians or daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want interviews with writers and creative people, or daily book suggestions in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, check out fullcontactnerd.com and my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. All of my social media links are listed at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. What do you think about that object? Was it 2017 um, that strange object that came in the comet, I guess. Oh, was, you
1: see that comet, okay.
0: <laughs> I, I forget how to pronounce it. It has sort of a Hawaiian name, I Yeah, think. it's a
1: Hawaiian diet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it in a Hawaiian diet. It's uh, right. something like that, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, uh, say the first messenger coming from far away. Mm-hmm. Because the orbit of that uh, comet tells us that uh, this comet did not originate inside our solar system, mm-hmm. but is coming from outside. And uh, we also know more or less where it's coming from. There is a, they have identified, uh, say, five or six stars, nearby stars, uh, and the comet seems to come from that, from that uh, region. Uh, what we know, it was a very elongated object. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, some uh, very <laughs> imaginative uh, astronomers uh, suggested it was a spacecraft, alien spacecraft, mm-hmm. alien spacecraft. But uh, they even tried to listen with the City Institute to to, to radio transmissions from that outlet, But, mm-hmm. known as far well as I know, was was found. But this is not only the uh, first; is not it is the first extra solar. Comet, but it's not the only one. We know of another one at least, uh, Mm -hmm. Comet Borisov. Uh, And so, uh, this is something I try to uh, point out in my book that if comets are coming from far away, uh, from, say, a a nebula outside our, uh, our own solar system, uh, there was much, much more time to form prebiotic compounds than here on earth. Here on Earth we have quite a, say four billion years mm-hmm. to build uh, amino acids and proteins and that. But uh, if we go to further out, we have maybe ten billion years to to build it. and so uh, the uh, idea that comets are bringing to us prebiotic compounds. Is reinforced by by this finding, and uh, it tells us that maybe we have to look more carefully for what is inside those nebulae. And uh, the the science advances very rapidly in this context. We have beautiful radio telescopes on ground. Uh, we have in Chile. We have in the uh, United States. We have in, uh, in Australia, and they can really detect. Very complex molecules in those nebulae. Essentially, say, uh, compounds of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen. Those are the four main components of life everywhere. Those four elements, simple chemical elements, but hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, uh, uh, and uh, oxygen. Those are the, really the main, main signatures of, of life.
0: What uh, what systems are there? Any particular systems that that are the best candidates based on like age and and other factors um, that are worth looking closer at?
1: Uh, Well, uh, we uh, the idea ideal situation would be to find a star like our own sun, Mm -hmm. so same same temperature at the surface, same age. uh, these few billion years. Uh, same um, uh, uh, our sun is, is not such a common star as is, as they, they say usually actually is a, is a very peculiar star. It, is, uh, uh, it has the right temperature, the right size, is not a binary of a triple star like most of the other stars. Uh, most of the other stars are much much fainter than our sun. Uh, they are double or triple and that so so we are looking for uh, essentially a uh, planets around other stars and other solar uh, type stars mm. and this would be a major enterprise because there are not so many of them uh, the uh, planet takes a long time to uh, to orbit them say one year or two year or two years so so it's a long search but 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 the candidates are coming so I am very, very optimistic that in a few years, we have a good sample of of uh, solar type stars with planets around them. We can study in detail. And this is one thing. The other I was telling you is that uh, we need to have much better information on the content of Gaseous nebulae around us. And this is better done with microwaves. Uh, I mean, radio, radio frequencies, uh, millimeter waves, like in the beautiful European American is a multinational uh, telescope uh, named Alma mm-hmm. in Chile. Alma is one of the best uh, devices we have around to detect molecules in uh, in those diffuse nebulae and uh, to see how really. It was the matter inside those neighborhoods billion, billions of years ago. Mm-hmm. And finally, in my, in my book, I also have a chapter on what happened at the very beginning of the universe. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, uh, we, we identified the, uh, origin of the expansion of the universe in what is called the Big Bang mm-hmm. almost 14 billion years ago. And this is a, the, the, the problem for life is that uh, out of the Big Bang, we only add hydrogen, helium, and tiny quantities of lithium, beryllium, and barium, and nothing else. So how do you build the other elements you need for life? Mm-hmm. Carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, iron, calcium, and so on. There you need stars. And so uh, I, I, I go some pages describing how stars contributed so powerfully to the birth of life. Hmm. So you really need the basic ingredients, the basic atoms to be life. And this is possibly done only inside stars. And stars hmm. will release those components through explosions, what we call supernovae. Hmm. The explosions will uh, say distribute to other stars, other um, heavy elements and so on and so on. So the process will build the actual composition, chemical composition of the universe. We know, we know now. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, we need a lot of uh, uh, say, not only hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, oxygen, but for say for our body, we also need calcium. Say we need little bit of iron, we need some some other elements, and those are products on the inside stars. If I can add a few very uh, quick comments, uh, sure. you know, there were some, some problems there, because, for instance, it was not really understood how stars could build the very uh, heaviest uh, elements. Mm-hmm. Until I mean, a partial answer came very, very recently with the discovery of gravitational waves.
0: (laughs) Maybe you... Which waves? Gravitational. Gravitational, okay. Okay.
1: They were discovered only a few years ago, you know. And those are uh, generated by fancy processes like uh, two black holes getting together or two neutron stars uh, coalescing. And if you have two, two neutron stars, you have a lot of neutrons around, and those neutrons are what you need to build heavy elements. So mm-hmm. today, but that was not known until, say, a couple of years ago, three years ago, uh, you can build very heavy elements uh, by uh, this uh, implosion of a couple of neutron stars. And they will release not only some light, but a lot of gravitational waves, which we now can detect with the LIGO system, say in the United States, mm-hmm. or with the Virgo system here in Italy.
0: So, so we're neutron stars. So then, previously they weren't good candidates to look for life, and now they are. Is that what you're saying?
1: They are, but well, I mean they don't they don't bring life themselves, but mm-hmm. they produce elements needed for life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was not known. Uh, the, the other uh, problem was how do you have enough lithium or barium around, or boron around. They say boron is, is, is uh, important for DNA stabilization. And to do that, uh, you, you need another, another uh, cosmic agent, which is not stars, but are the cosmic rays. Mm. They are very, very heavy particles, very energetic particles and they are also needed to produce elements critical for life. So you see, life is a, is a product of many cosmic processes going back to the birth of the universe and through, say, 13 billion years until we come to, to the first evidence of life on Earth approximately 4 billion years ago.
0: I was under Check. the impression that cosmic rays were, were pretty, um, commonplace and perhaps evenly distributed throughout the universe. Is that incorrect or is that? Uh, you were, sorry,
1: say, could you repeat? It? Co-
0: cosmic rays, I thought they were pretty common throughout the universe and perhaps yes. e- evenly yeah. dis- distributed. Uh,
1: yes, yes. But, uh, so in, in, um, from my perspective, they, they are, uh, needed to, Say uh, fission to make uh, when they impact a heavy nucleus, they will break this nucleus, will become a lighter nucleus. This is why you can produce lithium or beryllium or everywhere in the universe. So uh, yeah, you are correct. I mean, cosmic rays are a major component of the universe everywhere, every time.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. What about? um I would imagine that the increase. Increases in computing power and perhaps even quantum computing developments would would help contribute to this yes. research.
1: Yes, uh, there are several ways that increasing in uh, power computing is is fundamental. Uh, one is simply the detection of uh, uh, of a planet itself. I I don't know if you know how the first optical planet was detected in. Uh, 1995. No. Uh, it was done in a, with a telescope in Chile, in La Silla, by two uh, Swiss astronomers, um, Michel Mayor and Didier Kellos, who got the Nobel Prize in 2019 for the discovery. Mm. The discovery was 1995, but the Nobel Prize was awarded <laughs> in 2019. And they did it, the discovery, uh, measuring the radial velocity of the star is, is a bit uh, technical to explain. But if you have a planet around a star, the star will, say, move around the barycenter center of the system. There is a center of mass between the planet and the star. Mm. And the star is for... So you observe the star and you see that the radial velocity is changing. By the amount of this change, which is only a few meters per second, very difficult to measure, uh, you can detect the uh, the, the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, with a large computer, you can build a very very accurate model of the atmosphere of the star, and look for the best radial velocity measurement, which is nowadays few centimeters per second. Mm-hmm. So uh, that. Computer power was from the back. Then, uh, uh, of course, we have, say, from the other side. Let, let's try to detect a signal of, uh, say, an astronomer who sends us sends us signals through radio, radio waves, mm-hmm. and you have to detect this signal among a multitude of of uh, spurious signals and again you need to examine a lot, you make a lot of calculations and checking and this and that Uh, I mean there are many many ways you need large computers today. Quantum computers I don't know Uh, uh, I I speculated a bit uh, that uh, if they don't want to be seen by us they might use quantum communication <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is a way to encrypt the the, the information in a way you cannot uh, you cannot decode. Hmm. Uh, so, so quantum quantum cryptography is uh, is a way they could use to hide them from our discovery but now we are getting there so in a few years we will be able to decode even if they use yeah. a quantum, a quantum yeah. this is my i mean uh, i'm not an expert in quantum computing but uh, just uh, guessing tossing in an idea
0: so um i'm not so i have a question about material science advancements um are you able to talk to um any advancements in the materials used for either radio or optical telescopes that, that might increase our, our capabilities even more?
1: Uh, well, there has been, uh, a lot of improvements in, uh, in optical devices. Hmm. Uh, the materials, uh, I mean, simply uh, the, the, mirror uh, itself of the telescope, you know, large telescopes are based on mirrors, mm-hmm. not on lenses. And the technique of uh, building uh, large mirrors uh, was largely invented here in Italy mm-hmm. in 1935-1940. Uh, then it, uh, it was essentially forgotten uh, until the guys at the Keck telescope in, uh, in Hawaii resurrected the idea. I mean, you can build a large telescope simply combining together smaller mirrors. Hmm. Uh, uh, this synthesizing of large apertures with uh, smaller apertures is, is mandatory if you want to build telescopes larger than, say, 10 meters. You cannot move around a mirror larger than ten meters. Uh, I mean, there are no ways to transport it. There is getting too large, too heavy. Then, so if you can combine smaller telescopes, smaller mirrors, uh, this uh, technique is is uh, the one used, which will be used, for instance, for the forty meters European Telescope in Chile.
0: Hmm.
1: It will be composed by nine hundred smaller mirrors, to, they, they have to be aligned with extreme precision together to define a good surface. And mm. this can be done today with lasers and other, and other electronic devices. Mm. So this, is, this technique was uh, used very successfully at the Keck Observatory in Hawaii and now is common in, in other telescopes. Uh, And for the uh, James Webb Space Telescope in space, again, you cannot build a 6.5 meter telescope uh, and launch it on existing rockets. You have to build a a foldable mirror and which will be open when in orbit. Mm -hmm. So this was a major advance. Coming back to your previous questions, I mean, uh, for radio, for radio telescopes, again, the capability to uh, to decode signals and to find the signals in a signal in a very wide band, but the signal will be very narrow. So you you need a very sophisticated equipment to detect a signal, and this uh, was not even conceivable, I would say, fifteen years ago, and now the technique in the radio frequency domain is much, much more advanced. So everything is more advanced than it was only a decade ago. And I, I imagine that the future will be
0: equally bright. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a bit of a pun there. I don't know if you, you realize that, the future being equally bright and just thinking about astronomy. and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm speaking with Cesare Barberi, author of A Brief Introduction to the Search for Extraterrestrial Life. You can find more information about the book on the CRC Press website. If you like this episode of Technology and Space so far, please tap the like button and space dock the subscribe button. If you want more interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or to get daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyandspace.com. If you want interviews with military historians or daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want interviews with writers and creative people or daily book suggestions in sci-fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, check out fullcontactnerd.com and my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews all of my social media links are listed at the end of this episode. Now back to the podcast. So what about, and, and now I forgot my question making jokes and I forget my question. Oh, how, how um, I've always been amazed at how, um, they can keep these mirrors free of particle dust particles, how they keep them clean or, or how they clean <laughs> them if they ever need to.
1: Yes. uh, uh of course i guess we are referring to telescopes on ground
0: mm-hmm. yes
1: because in orbit is uh, is slightly different mm-hmm. although say um, well okay let, let's let, let's uh, first answer your question for a large ground telescope mm-hmm. uh, it depends on where, where the telescope is take for instance our telescopes in italy in asiago we have the largest Italian telescopes in our observatory. Asiago was a very nice village on the mountain until 30 years ago. And then the population uh, increased terribly due to tourism. And so that means you have uh, smoke in the air, We have fumes, particles, and so we have to clean the mirror much, much more often. Uh, and so we have to wash the mirror, dry it, put it back again, is uh, not easy. You, there are ways of uh, not using water, but uh, say uh, carbon dioxide mm-hmm. to clean the surface of the mirror. Mm-hmm. But it has, it has to be clean. Uh, the, the situation is different, say, where we have our national telescope in the Canaries. We are high on the mountain in the Canary Islands, and the problem there is the dust, the sand thing in the air coming from the Sahara Desert. And those are not fumes or uh, smokes. They are really particles, dust particles, and they, uh, they don't stick so much. They, they are not oily like the particles we have in Asiago, mm-hmm. but you have to clean again the and So there are... Ways of doing it, say, with uh, carbon dioxide, simply washing with, uh, with this very mild solution or the Telson solution. Yeah. And, and then when you yes. have cleaned uh, perfectly the mirror, then you have to put a new surface on the mirror itself. Yeah. Uh, you know, the mirror is, say, glass. So it's transparent. Uh, how can you make it reflective? The technique is to put the mirror in a vacuum tank, mm-hmm. make a good vacuum, very good vacuum, say 10 to the minus 6, 1 million of the normal atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And then you fire, you fire uh, some um, aluminum. You deposit a very, very thin film of aluminum under vacuum on the surface of the mirror. And so, the mirror becomes very reflective Mm -hmm. and it stays reflective for, say, one or two or three years according to the conditions of your observatory. Mm -hmm. For the James Webb Space Telescope, they go in space. Mm -hmm. So they have to uh, use a different technique. Uh, The Hubble Space Telescope was essentially aluminum, but for the James Webb, where they want to be more effective in the near-red and infrared, they will, they put on already, it's almost ready, they put on a gold coating. So the surface of the mirror is coated with a very thin film of gold. Mm -hmm. So this is how you can optimize the spectral response. You want to be sensitive to the blue Mm -hmm. light or to the infrared. So there are different techniques but uh, in space you don't really need to clean the same way there are no dust around mm-hmm. uh, so so but um, so they simply protect the surface of the mirror with another thin coating of uh, durable material like magnesium fluoride for the Hubble space.
0: So don't microparticles um, impact?
1: Yes them? but the probability is very very small uh is, is, uh, say for the Rosetta mission, uh, we flew the mission 14 years inside the solar system, mm-hmm. and we had the largest solar panels ever launched to space. Mm-hmm. They were 30, if I don't remember, was 60 square meters of, uh, of solar panels. And so they, they collected some impacts of uh, inter- interplanetary dust around, but uh, not enough to deteriorate seriously the, the capability of the solar panels. Mm-hmm. So that's a problem but it's not a dramatic one. It's not even a, a large one.
0: Is there any, um, anything in space that, that obscures the, the telescope that people might be surprised to hear about? I'm sure you're familiar with everything, you know, that could impact what you're observing, but is there something?
1: Well, uh, if you are really very, very unlucky, you might have a meteorite coming (laughs) coming into your mirror. But, uh, again, it depends on the orbit you are. Uh, Say, uh, if you are in low Earth orbit, say 400 kilometers, like uh, the uh, International Space Station, you have still uh, particles of atmosphere up there, in particular oxygen. And so you collect oxygen atoms and they slowly will impact on your performances. Mm. But if you are farther out in space, I would not imagine, unless there is say in in a real incident, like a collision with a small particle, but Mm. the probability is terribly, terribly small, fortunately. So uh, I don't. I mean, the 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 problem would be different if you put a telescope on the moon, Hmm. because on the moon, on the moon is uh, there is some movement of dust, even if there is no wind, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but still there are electrostatic forces, and so there is. But but the problem will be much much more severe on Mars, because you know on Mars. There is there are strong winds and occasional storms of dust, like uh, it happened last year. So, uh, gigantic storms of dust on Mars. So you have you better have the I mean forcing devices to clean your telescopes here and there. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think um, if if they're able to find any sort of life on Mars, I would imagine that that whatever they find would give uh, individuals looking for extraterrestrial life more clues on what to look for yes, in space. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Very good. Uh, this, uh, of life on Mars is a, is a long story. You know, the, uh, the Martians, I mean, I don't know if, if you call them the Martians, I mean, the, the living humans supposed to live on Mars, mm-hmm. uh, which was 1938, I guess. The, this uh, invasion of the oh. Earth by the Mars. <laughs> yes. but, but what we might might find are microorganisms like, like bacteria, mm-hmm. either living bacteria or dead bacteria. Uh, so this will certainly give gives us a clue how they evolved on a very different environment than the Earth. The gravity is different, the atmosphere is different, water is... Uh, is usually either ice or water vapor. So uh, we we are really anxious to see if there are bacteria mm-hmm. on Mars. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, every 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 year I would say now we have much better models of uh, extraterrestrial life. Biologists are working very hard, chemists are working very hard, so uh, we are refining our detection Capabilities, uh, just look in the atmosphere of the planets. Mm-hmm. Now, if they, if there are living beings, they are intelligent beings. That's another story. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they might be, be different from us. <laughs> I, I, guess they, they cannot be that much different because, uh, the, the life has also physical uh, limitations. I mean, uh, you cannot be too small or too large, and this and that. So I, I would hope that they have our own. Uh, might, maybe I mean, more or less our own brain, our own way of communicating, mm-hmm. and so that would be a major, major, major discovery. But uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there is a point I could, uh, if I can, uh, I could not touch in my. Brain because, in my booklet, because The Mutation of Pages I mean, it was a booklet in a, in a um, series of focused books by CRC, so I could not use mm-hmm. more pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is an aspect I was particularly keen to, uh, I, I am treating in my conferences, uh, or lectures in the university, and, I mean, it's a sociological aspect. And, and going even to the philosophical or religious aspect of intelligent life in, in, in other worlds. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a subject I could not touch mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, maybe in the future I will be able to say more, but mm-hmm. uh, of course we can only speculate. But I would really be so happy to communicate with another being and ask him what he thinks about say the expansion of the universe or uh, other because I mean we are only one one humanity and hmm. we find another one we can exchange. Uh, of course, there is this problem of uh, of uh, time. Hmm. Uh, the closest planets we have it will take say four years, eight years to uh, get an answer, but they are not really. Uh, there are many years, but not not too many. Uh, if you are saying that we can, in a way, communicate with ancient Egyptians, I mm-hmm. mean, we can discover their writings, uh, understand mm-hmm. what they were thinking, and this was six thousand years ago. So, if even if we take say ten years mm-hmm. to communicate or twenty years to communicate, I guess this is a reasonable time.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure people would develop methods in which to exchange information uh, quicker, yes. you know, well, pr- processes. We, you
1: know. Even, uh, say, even with common uh, binary system like exchanging bits and bytes, we, we could truly we could communicate, mm-hmm. but uh, there are more sophisticated devices.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what about, the, I recall reading a story, I forget, maybe it's a few months, and Wild speculation. I guess they had detected a star that showed, um, or something was detected that suggested that there was a possibility of, um, this system using a, what is it, Dyson, a Dyson system? It, it's, you know, where, where life uses the whole star as an energy yes. source for their civilization. Yes.
1: Uh, Freeman Dyson, you are referring to this, uh, excellent physicist, Fre- um, Freeman Dyson, I can say. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, who is a very imaginative uh, guy, really. fantastic guy and uh, you can all, you can imagine a super civilization mm-hmm. who can uh, uh, who can use the energy coming from the whole star to build a huge a huge compound around the star and if this comes into your view the star will dim a bit and, um, but uh, those are very, very good speculations. I would say they will push your imagination and maybe even your physics to to reach new new a new frontier. But at the moment, they are they are really very, very interesting speculations. But we are, I mean, there are other phenomena in the, the sky, uh, natural phenomena. Uh, can you? I don't know. You maybe you don't. You are too young to remember. When the first pulsar was discovered in, in, in the United Kingdom, in, in England, uh, in 1965. Hmm. You were not born at the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the pulsar sends out a regular signal. Say one every, every few, every, say, 10 milliseconds, 20 milliseconds. A very regular signal. And so, uh, they At the beginning, they thought it was uh, an intelligent signal. Mm-hmm. They they even named them the little green man. <laughs> <laughs> and, but then it was a, a natural phenomenon, the phenomenon of pulsar, which is con- connected to the neutron stars we were talking previously. And uh, so there are so many natural phenomena that we, we have yet to, to discover. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was only 60 years ago, and nobody could understand it until, say, a few years later. But at the beginning, they were sus- they suspected they were a little green man. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, they
0: say, so what are the current, um, you know, like, let's say the current astronomical mysteries in 2021 that astronomers are really keyed in on for, for whatever reason.
1: <laughs> oh, there are many mysteries. Uh, what is uh, more, say, widespread known, uh, better known, there uh, are two those mysteries uh, of great, great uh, cosmological significance. One is the dark matter. Hmm. Dark matter is uh, we know that there is uh, more matter in many galaxies, then we can detect, we can uh, make a reason of. Uh, we know there is this uh, mass, this matter, but what is it? We don't know. Mm-hmm. So this is a large fraction of the universe we don't know. The other is the dark energy. Uh, we, uh, apparently the universe is expanding in the last, say, few mil- billion years Um, at this rate which is larger than expected. Mm -hmm. And so there is a sort of negative energy which we don't know. Uh, So uh, two major components of the universe. Some cosmologists would would tell you that we only know 5% of the content of the universe. Mm -hmm. The rest is unknown. Yeah. mostly dark energy and dark matter. Those are really two two major question marks in our knowledge. But um, but even more, I mean, we, there are other simpler processes we really don't know. How, how say the uh, hydrocarbons, I mean the molecules we detect in the uh, gaseous nebula, how Did they fall? And, and coming back to my book, Mm -hmm. uh, we still don't know how from uh, amino acids and proteins and you can, you can uh, make the step to living organism. Mm -hmm. This is another major unknown. And although there were experiments, ideas, dating back to you know, a century ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, uh, in 1950, this famous experiment by Miller and Urey in the United States, they tried to produce living uh, living uh, bacteria, say, from uh, uh, those four simple uh, chemical compounds I told you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is still escaping our understanding. Mm-hmm. So, how life started, we know when, perhaps we know where, but how? And and the other major question is the same line of thinking: is how do you, how do did life evolve? Only few million years ago, say five million, not billion, but billion years ago from. Uh, uh, say uh, animals, simple animals to intelligent life. Mm-hmm. And we humans are only, say, two million years old. Uh, who, how, how was that step?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, two big, big distance in my, my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned um, dark energy and dark matter. I always thought. They were the same, like people just use the term interchangeably. Is no, that-
1: no, 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 no. They are two, two, two separate things. Mm-hmm. The dark energy is seen in the expansion of the universe. How the universe expands with time. Dark matter is seen in saying galaxies. How the uh, galaxies rotate uh, is uh, telling you that um, the rotation is uh, due to matter that you don't see. Mm. So they're on two very different scales.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they are not the same thing. They are dark, but not but different.
0: Okay. Um, and you mentioned before, I forgot a question I was going to ask. Um, you mentioned radial velocities of meters per second and then centimeters per second. Yeah. What what does the difference indicate? What What's the importance of those?
1: Uh, okay. Uh, the lighter is the planet. The smaller will be the radial velocity. hmm because, say, uh, think of, uh, say, uh, our sun uh, circling around the center of Mars between the sun and Jupiter. Mm-hmm. The velocity of our sun will be about 12, 12 meters per second. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the name of that guy who runs the 100 meter in 10 seconds?
0: Oh. Bolt? <laughs> are, saying, are you saying Bolt?
1: Both, yeah? Yeah. So it runs 10 meters per second, okay? Mm-hmm. So take now uh, the mass of Jupiter and divide it by 10. Mm-hmm. The velocity will be 1 meter per second. Mm-hmm. So if we can measure 1 meter per second, we can detect a planet 10 times lighter than Jupiter. Yeah. And if we go to 1 centimeter, we can detect one planet 1,000 times lighter than Jupiter. So, you, you see, this this is it's crucial how well you can measure the radio velocity to uh, detect a planet with that particular method. It's not the only one. Say, the NASA Kepler telescope I was mentioning before, mm-hmm. he did the discovery through a different method, which is when a planet uh, comes in your way between the, you and the star, the mm-hmm. star will dim a very, very little amount of... Uh, uh luminosity say one over a thousand, mm-hmm. but for a few hours, and then it will repeat when the ca- when the planet comes back. So you can detect, uh, you can discover this planet with that with this other method, which we call the transit. So radial velocity and transit are the two methods you can use.
0: Hmm. And I I also remembered another question I was going to ask, talking about the mirrors. Or on Earth, the telescopes on Earth, the mirrors in vacuums, um, with 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 a vacuum that strong, I would imagine you have to protect, you have to seal it pretty well so that it doesn't suck material in, you know, from outside if yeah, it. it has no, that no. that strong so, vacuum.
1: Sorry. You you put the mirror in vacuum when you aluminize it, but not when you use
0: it. Oh, when you when you create it or build it?
1: No, when you have to put uh, the aluminum coating. On the mirror, then you have to put it in vacuum. But in normal mm. operation, the mirror is in there.
0: Ah, I see.
1: Sorry, I maybe I confuse your your ideas. Uh, you have to put on ground. You have to put the mirror on on the vacuum only when you put a coating, and mm. this is done occasionally every year or two years. Uh. In space, of course, you are in vacuum, right? Because there is almost vacuum around you. So, mm-hmm. uh, but. Um, but on ground, uh, unless there are very very special reasons, but you don't put a telescope in vacuum. It's oh. difficult it is not needed unless you have a very very special requirement. But this is not uh, not common to astronomers.
0: Oh, okay. I thought it was housed in some kind of vacuum chamber to. No, to no,
1: no. Only the mirror is put in vacuum when you have to put this reflecting coating on the mirror. Okay, but uh, but not in normal. Sorry
0: about that. Okay. Okay. So I imagine this book is basically, it's, it's your thoughts and experience, but did you have to do any extra research to complete this book on extra? Oh,
1: yes. I, I had to go through many books in chemistry and biology, of course, Mm -hmm. which was not mine, especially. And I hope I didn't make too many mistakes, but, uh, but, but, uh, of course, uh, I, as I wrote in the book, this is my way as an astronomer to approach the problem of life in the universe, uh, and um, but I had, I had also to give some basic ideas, but chemistry, especially, and biology.
0: Mm-hmm. What did you find that most surprised you as you did your research for this?
1: <laughs> well, uh the the first, I mean the. The first great surprise uh, was when the number of planets grew so quickly. Uh, In 1995, we knew one Mm -hmm. extrasolar planet. Mm -hmm. Now we know 5,000 of them, more or less. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a terribly rapid increase in the number of planets we know, and it Tells us that the uh, process of forming planets must become must be spread everywhere. So that was a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Then the other the other thing you, you I, I at least I I consider uh, from my astronomical point of view very important is how special is the Earth. Mm-hmm. The Earth is special. For many, for many reasons, and one being the importance of the moon for life. Mm. Without the moon, our climate will not stay stable for billions of years as it does. Take, take for instance, Mars. Mars has no large moon around it. Mars has only two very little uh Moons, who, uh, those moons do not contribute anything to the, uh, the daily rotation of Mars. Mm-hmm. So the rotation axis of Mars can change direction by many many degrees over, say, so periods like hundred thousand years. Mm-hmm. So life does not on life uh, on Mars does not enjoy the same stability conditions we have here on Earth. The other surprising surprising notion I I got, uh, as an astronomer, I didn't know that until I discovered that the Earth is special for another reason, for plate tectonics. Mm. We have uh, these movements of the uh, uh, inner structure of the Earth, you know, plate tectonics, don't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and so this plate tectonics is fundamental to life, because it will enrich the our atmosphere and our seas of uh, compounds of uh, organic compounds, which would otherwise dissolve very quickly.
0: Mm.
1: So the presence of tectonics is fundamental also for life. Is detrimental, say, because there are earthquakes. But uh, on uh, on a long scale, uh, tectonics is plate tectonics is fundamental to keep the uh, composition of the atmosphere and of the sea as as it is today.
0: Hmm.
1: So this was another. I mean, it, it was known to other guys, but for for me it was a big a big uh, notion I had to learn. Uh, so presence of the moon, plate tectonics. Uh, the, re- the right uh, density and mass of the Earth. So we are in a very special class. Hmm.
0: I assume we can't detect moons around extrasolar planets yes. yet.
1: Yes. yes, we can. With, with some ingenuity uh, uh, and uh, with good enough uh, measurements, now there is evidence for moons around planets. Not many because uh, it takes a lot of time and very sophisticated techniques, like the supercomputing we were discussing before. Mm -hmm. But at least in few cases, we we know there are moves around planets.
0: And are most of the extrasolar planets that have been detected, are they the ones that are closest to us or is it other aspects that make them detectable?
1: Oh, no, they... uh, Usually they are on stars reasonably close to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, reasonably close means say within one hundred light years, mm-hmm. two hundred light years. So uh, because in a way it is easier the detection. And uh, what is really uh, important is to uh, is to have good equipment on Earth to make the say large wide angle, as we said before. So, mm-hmm. because the transit the technique will work better. Uh, we have a, you need a star which is reasonably stable in luminosity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if it changes luminosity, it confuses the detection of the planet. Mm-hmm. So there are conditions, but, uh, I mean, the sheer number of exoplanets we know, more than 5,000 today, tells you that the technique we have is, is really, is really good. Uh, we, we cannot claim we detect all of them. We have still some selection of facts, but those are ameliorating uh, with every, every year.
0: So forgive, for, forgive what might seem to be a very basic and, and simple question, but can you use both radio telescopes and optical telescopes to find different information on the same yes. system and combine those for a better understanding?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. In particular, I, I guess, then uh, in a few years we will be able to combine radio telescopes to study the atmosphere uh, of the planet, mm-hmm. say the presence of uh, methane, mm-hmm. which would be a very or of other molecules which are better seen in radio waves than in optical uh, radiation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, they the all the instruments well, even even. X-ray telescopes are useful, or all uh, sorts of telescopes are useful to get to detect information about uh, about uh, exoplanets. So, uh, really, we have a very good complement of uh, of uh, astronomy. Say, uh, what, what is now the uh, today the way of telling what you are the concept you are expressing is what we call the multi-wavelength astronomy. Mm-hmm. Astronomy done over a very wide range of wavelengths, from mm-hmm. gamma rays all the way to radio waves. Mm-hmm. So multi, the power of multi-wavelength astronomy is really fundamental because we can combine information over all the, uh, the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm-hmm. And of course, in many years, 15 years, we can also combine gravitational wave information. Mm-hmm which is a different sort of information. We already, I, as I told you, we have some new information uh, using gravitational waves. Mm-hmm. And maybe in the, when the technology will develop even more, we will have even better ideas on, on the universe.
0: With all the different ways um, in which to detect information on these planets, is there a per- particular way that that does most of the work, and the others are sort of supplementary information, or is it spread equally? Uh,
1: uh, I would say they are spread equally. I would, mm-hmm. I would say, yeah. But I mean, uh, the 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 major advances today are using optical mm-hmm. optical information. Mm-hmm. Uh, near infrared will come from the James Webb Space Telescope. Mm-hmm. It, it comes from the millimeter. Telescopes like Alma in Chile, I was mentioning before. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I mean, uh, you, you cannot say I am better than, than the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> we, are all, we
0: are
1: all equally good.
0: So, in your business, in your studies, are there any are there any um, obstacles that could easily be addressed, say, at the political level, at the Educational level, financing, any any big problems that could be solved quickly or easily.
1: Uh, those problems cannot be solved quickly. I would say there is. <laughs> I mean, in my long experience, big problems take time mm-hmm. to solve. Uh, political problems are unpredictable. Mm. Uh, you 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 really don't know what will happen tomorrow between. Uh, Russia and China and America and Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, this uh, idea of a Russian-Chinese uh, outpost on the moon is is very recent. Say a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other unpredictable thing is how will private companies act on space. Will private companies go really to colonize the moon and Mars? Mm-hmm. And if they do, uh, one can see large dangers for science, mm. because they couldn't care less about how the universe is. Or they, they simply want to go there to to say to make money. Mm. I, I am a bit rough on purpose, but uh, but of course, commercial interests are not always the same interest of science, and so there is a political uh, need to. Uh, to combine forces among nations to set boundaries to what can be done by a particular company or a particular nation say on the moon can, can we raise walls on the moon or put fences mm. there uh, is this piece of mass my property your property those are very serious political questions which are not solved yet there are no international laws. Enforcing regulation. Uh, educational, you you are touching a very important aspect of uh, my career, of course, because I was a university professor for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I see now that all the big uh, agencies like NASA or ESA in Europe uh, are really spending money and time to educate young people mm-hmm. to interest young people in science and this is really fundamental and uh, and of course educating people to science means also educating them to be to be international mm. to to work um together with people from all other countries in the world all other religions all other uh, way, philosophies and this is very very important and I I, I, I can tell you with pleasure that uh, today there are big efforts everywhere to educate people mm. uh, exchange students for instance sending uh, my students to the United States or so having your students in my country and this is really very very important so mm-hmm. uh, it takes time, it takes money, but uh, but but it comes. So this is uh, uh, something optimistic. Of course, this pandemic, this pandemic condition we are living in, uh, is uh, stopping it. But I get only for a very, say, a few years, but not, not a serious mm-hmm. stopping of international exchange. Mm-hmm. I hope this is what you were
0: asking. I, I, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I know you've written uh, you've written a, a textbook on astronomy, I believe. Is that
1: yes? Uh, I, I wrote several in Italian, and the one you are referring to is the second edition, mm-hmm. a textbook in English. I wrote uh, the first edition is now fifteen years ago, and, and the second edition is uh, this year. Okay. Uh, or, yeah, it was December last year. Okay. It came out. Um, and uh, believe it or not, even the fundamental ideas of astronomy changed so much thanks to space astronomy. When I was young, uh, I was basically educated uh, with uh, ancient Greek and the Roman and, uh, say, Babylonian astronomy. No, oh, that was beautiful. I mean, it's, uh, the Babylonians and Greeks and the Roman and Arabs had, had a beautiful astronomical culture. Most of what we know today are based on those ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, they say the reference systems, the, how the planets move and this and that. Uh, now, now the, the, the scenario is, uh, is different thanks to space age. When you send a satellite, uh, say, to, uh, to, to Mars, or to Jupiter uh, you have to use new concepts of space and time and that that really means that uh, I had to rewrite the book in several chapters to take care of those changes
0: Hmm. Amazing um, So are you working on any other projects right now then? Writing uh,
1: projects? Uh, I don't know I mean uh, getting sold is not easy to <laughs> To work any longer, but you never uh, know. I, I, <laughs> what's that? I, I, I better don't
0: ask. Okay, okay. So, wh- is there anywhere on the web that pe- people can see updates on your thoughts or your works? Do you have social media or website?
1: I do, but I don't care much about it. Mm-hmm. I am really ashamed by uh, th- this. Is something I should do because I have so many uh, conferences I am giving. a... Usually, don't put them on my website, and this is something I, I don't even put my books on my website. So I, I should, I should do it. Uh, I, I, I am ashamed of it, but uh, <laughs> I'm not good at those things. I'm not good
0: at PR. So I guess people can can find uh, can find your books on Amazon at least. I'll spell your name for them um, yes. if they want to search. It's first name is C E S, right? C
1: E S A R E.
0: Mm-hmm. And your last name?
1: It's B A R B I E R I.
0: Mm-hmm. And how do you pronounce it again? I did it poorly.
1: Cesare Barbieri.
0: All right, all right. Okay. That's all the questions I have. Do you have any parting okay. thoughts or words?
1: No, well, thank you for your for the time you spend with me. I hope I, I answered your questions oh, okay. right as I could.
0: So uh, thank you very much for speaking with me.
1: Okay, thank you again, uh, Chris. I wish you all the best with your uh, interviews. We are very, very interested.
0: Good, thank you, thank you. In the next episode, I speak with Eric Berger, who's written about the early years of SpaceX. Space doc, the subscribe button to catch that episode. Thank you for listening to Technology and Space. If you want more interviews with space scientists, space historians, and technology experts, or daily space and science book suggestions, check out technologyandspace.com and follow me at Spacewalks Money Talks on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, Spacewalks MT on Twitter, and this podcast, Technology and Space. If you want interviews with military historians or daily history book suggestions, check out warscholar.org. And follow me at War Scholar on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, at Chris Alvarez, War Scholar on Instagram, and my podcast, Military History Inside Out. If you want interviews with writers and creative people, or daily fiction suggestions including sci fi, fantasy, horror, film history, gaming, and more, sign up for my newsletter at fullcontactnerd.com, and follow me on Chris Alvarez, Full Contact Nerd on YouTube. Chris Alvarez, FCN on Facebook and Twitter, Chris Alvarez, Sci-Fi on Instagram, and my podcast, Full Contact Nerd Interviews. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you again soon.